0: I know it sounds like false humility, but I just cannot believe on Sunday morning that you normal, ordinary people would get up and and go through all the trouble to come here to listen to anything that I might have to say. It's just amazing. Larry was a turning point in my life. Larry came to see that God justifies the ungodly. It became the center of his whole life and through Larry, mine. There's one thing he never overlooked, and that was Christ saves sinners. Larry was convinced in his bones that Christianity was about Christ. I'll never be grateful enough for the message that Larry Horton
1: left me because it was nothing less than the message of Christianity. Welcome to the Timeless Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Faith Ann, and Larry Horton was my dad. The deepest connection I had with my dad was through his teaching of the gospel. My dad communicated grace more deeply and simply than most. These sermons came to be preserved through my dear Aunt Shirley, who, in the early 80s, requested that my dad's sermons be recorded on cassette tapes and mailed to her so that she could be edified from five states away. When Larry died and went home to be with the Lord in 2019, my Aunt Shirley came to the funeral and brought Brought with her the very sermons this podcast was created to showcase. The remaining sermons were preached in the early 2000s at the church he pastored until he died. His children's prayer is that you will come to Christ through these sermons or, if you already are a Christian, be edified as so many were during his life. The first episode of the Timeless Gospel preached in 1988 is Larry's sermon on Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Do stick around after the sermon ends to hear Larry's daughter Joy and I discuss the sermon and hear an example from Larry's life that demonstrated how he believed every word of what he preached.
0: Romans chapter 8. I was enticed years ago, and I believe very strongly in... Uh, teaching the scriptures verse by verse. And in doing so, there's a lot of positive things that come from this. But the one thing I like about it is that uh, that I can be convicted by the Holy Spirit just like anyone else. Those folks who who teach uh, whatever they want to teach go from verse to verse and jump all over. Uh, whenever the, the scriptures deal with a particular sin in my life, I have to deal with it. <clears throat> uh, if I was jumping around, I could skip that. I could never preach on that problem. And that's one reason why I like verse by verse is because uh, I'm convicted, too, because I I have to accept everything just because you do. But there are some drawbacks and uh, and there are some negative things about that. And one of the problems that we have with teaching verse by verse is uh, when we come to a verse like we have today that we only teach it uh, maybe three or four times in one's lifetime, maybe only three or four times uh, uh, in 10 years. And this is almost criminal. We need to teach a verse like this, communicate this verse, preach this verse, uh, I don't know, maybe once a month. I mean, it's a powerful, powerful verse. And I'm so thrilled this morning that we can look at it and and discuss it. I assure you, uh, without being sensational in any way, that your life will be changed this morning because of this verse. Not because of my sermon, but we can read the verse, shut the book, and go home, and our lives will be changed. This is a very powerful verse. I have a cousin. I didn't know him very well growing up. He was a lot older than I was. He lived in Tulsa. I lived here more. And he uh, became a preacher. <clears throat> and he, he is now a pastor of a large, very large church in, I believe, Portland, Oregon. I haven't talked with him, as a believer, except one time here a few years ago, uh, down at my house for about five minutes. But uh, I took an instant liking to him. I like. I would like to spend some time with him. But not only is he the pastor of a very large church in Portland, but he's well known within his denomination, and his denomination is very large. So this this guy is somebody. He paid me, and you. A very, very, very large compliment. A few months ago, I uh, received some of his tapes, some of his sermons. And one uh, morning he was teaching on trouble. You got trouble. You got depression. Uh, uh, you got problems in your life, and he was he was trying to communicate to his congregation. Uh, the hope there is in the Scripture, the hope there is in the Lord, and He was trying to put down uh, the best that He could feelings and circumstances, circumstances and emotions. He was showing feelings have very little to do with anything. You can just be thrilled one moment and be reeled down the next, but that means nothing. That's what He's trying to communicate. He he brought in the fact that uh, He loves His wife very much, but there are many times when He's very dis- uh, not, very upset with His wife. And he certainly doesn't have a feeling of love toward her at that time. But of course, he loves his wife. That was one of the things he said. He was just trying to show that that feelings and circumstances have very little to do with life. And it certainly has almost nothing to do with the scriptures. So he preached for about 30 minutes and tried to communicate all these uh, things to help his congregation. And then at the end of the sermon, and that's where he was going, that was what he was trying to communicate is the last five minutes Everything he said had to do with the last five minutes. He said this. Now, I don't know exactly what he believes. I'd like to find out, but I do know what his denomination believes, and I'm going to put it in his words. He did not say this is what he believed. He said it's what his denomination believed. And he mentioned the fact that there are Calvinists and Armenians. And there's been a division in the church from from day one with Armenians and Calvinists. So let me tell you what Calvinists believe. He said, Calvinists believe this. He said a few, few lines. And he says, our denomination does not believe that. And then he said, and Calvinists believe this. He said a few lines. He says, and our denomination does not believe that. And he did this three or four times. And right toward the end of his sermon, he says, but now I want to tell you something about those Calvinists. He said, when the going gets tough, when things are really rough, he said they've got it, they have got it over us 10 to 1. Or 10 ways to Sunday, I think he said. They've got it over us 10 ways to Sunday because when things get tough, a Calvinist will stand on the word of God and the word of God alone as opposed to feelings and circumstances and things like this. So that was I thought a very very high compliment by my cousin toward me and toward you. <laughs> No more, no other place in scripture, no, is it more important that we just stand on what it says in the verse we're going to look at this morning? This verse will give us rest, peace, and comfort no ma- and power, no matter what happens to us. So I would hope by the by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do, that we can live up to my cousin's compliment and just stand on this verse of scripture. And the verse I'm talking about, of course, is Romans 8, verse 28. And let's read it together. For God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. As I've said before, doesn't God give everybody a chance to be saved? No, man is not saved by chance. Man is saved on purpose. The purpose of God. And God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. I'm not a theologian. Well, you know that. I'm not even a seminary graduate. I've never even uh, attended seminary. Although I do tell people uh, I've been to Dallas Theological Seminary. And, you know I don't lie to them. I do a lot of work in Dallas and I go by there all the time. So I, I've been there. But I have not attended. But just me and my little old mind, last night, in about 15 minutes, I thought through Romans 8, 28, all of the different doctrines. And this is just in a quick 15 minutes. All of the different doctrines in Scripture that that fill into this verse, that pile into this verse. It's amazing. You have the doctrine of Satan. You have the doctrine just many, many, many doctrines involved in this one verse of Scripture. You can go if you wanted to all the way back before the foundation of the world. If I was going to preach on before the foundation of the world, I'd preach on Romans 8:28, and you could take it all the way to heaven and glory. And if I was going to teach on on heaven and glory, you could start with the Romans 8:28. If you want to, if you want to teach on Satan, you can go to Romans 8:28. If you want to teach on election, you can go to Romans 8, 28. If you want to teach on love, you can go to Romans 8, 28, and on, and on and on and on we go. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know a believer knows it. A believer does not have to wonder about it. A believer doesn't not it would wouldn't it be great? It would be terrific. It would be terrific if God caused all things to work together for our good. And we didn't know it. We found out later. We'll get to heaven. But that isn't what it says. It says we know it now. God is causing all things to work together for our good. And and we just don't seem to grasp that all things. God is causing all things. All things to work for my benefit, for my good. All, all things for God, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. When I was in school, they taught me how to preach according to the books, and in your your sermon, which you you're missing out on the benefit of my learning because I. I I don't do it. <laughs> you know, I should, but I I don't. It's you think through your sermon a lot better if you do like they tell you, but I just don't do it. I I guess I'm lazy, but for you give them you know your uh, your 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 sermon uh topic, uh, the the uh a subject. And then you go <clears throat> excuse me. Then then you go into what is called well, the introduction. Well, we had an introduction a while ago with with talking about my cousin. That was the introduction. Then you go into what is called the propositional statement. Now, the propositional statement is what your sermon is going to be like, be, be about. Because whenever in preaching, just like in the army, you tell them what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, then you tell them what you told them. And that and that's the way a sermon works. And and so you're going you tell them what you're going to tell them. And this is the the, the, the sake of your sermon. This is the one thing you want all the people to leave with if they don't get anything else. Uh, hell is not a good place to be. That would be your propositional statement. Now, the very next words out of your mouth have to have a number in them. And it's a, it's a sentence that's going to bring you into your outline. Bring you into your, your, your it's a transitional sentence. It's going to bring you right into your outline. And it all, just almost always has a numerical number. I would like to give you three. I would like to give you five. Hell is a, hell is a, a bad place to be. And I'd like to give you three, or I'd like to give you five. That's the way the sermon goes, see? Just step by step. Now, after you say the word three, or the word five, and they were adamant about this, you can say anything you want, anything that's right. You can say anything you want after the the numerical number three, four, five, except the word things. You cannot, you cannot say the word things. It's too general. It doesn't apply. It doesn't work. And you don't, no, you never say, uh, heaven is a is a bad place to be. And I want to give you three things. You don't say that. And as I was thinking about this last night, <clears throat> I tried to think of another word that could be used here. And God causes all things to work together for our good. And you know, I could could not come up with one single English word that would fit there. Not one. God causes all promises to work together for good. God causes all of his Bible to work together for good. God causes all love to work together for good. God causes all fellowship to work together for good. God causes all tribulation to work together for good. None of those words fit you rule out a whole lot more than you than you put in god causes all things every single thing in the world god causes all things to work together for good look at verse 31 what then shall we say of these things verse 32 he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how will he not also with freely give us all things? Verse 37, but in all these things. Verse 38, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, God would have failed my homiletics class. There, there is no other word we can use here but things. God causes all things to work together for good. Them who love God, them who are called according to His purpose. Now you can believe that or you, or you cannot. But now we can look at it in two ways. And I'd like to look at it in two ways right now. One way in which we, we know that this is true, God we know it, is because it says so right here in the Word and it says the very same thing over in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you want to turn with me, fine. If not, I'll just read it, starting with verse 3 down through verse 12. It might be good if you just want to listen to this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him. With a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of of the times, that is, summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, and things upon the earth in Him. Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His own will, to the end that we were the first to hope in Christ, should, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be the praise of His glory, in Him you also, after, uh, excuse me, that end, praise of His glory. So we can just look at the scriptures, we can believe them, and act upon them. Romans 8, 28 says this. Romans, uh, Ephesians 1, chapter 1 says, Ephesians chapter 1 says this. It's true. God causes all things to work together for our good. But not only can we look at it from Scripture, but we can look at it, if you will, from the logic of the re- of Revelation. Not human logic, but the logic of the Scriptures. Maybe not having a chapter and verse, but of the logic of all the Bible. And one of the first things we need to understand about our God is that he is perfect. God not only is holy, righteous, all-knowing, all-wise, but God is perfect. And when God created things, he did it, everything, if God is perfect, everything that he's ever done is perfect. Now, if God is not perfect, we'll just close the book and go on home. I'll just go on to hell because i got enough problems in my own life without taking on any of his. He's either perfect or he's imperfect, one or the other. So if he's perfect, then everything he does is perfect. If he's imperfect, I don't worship him anyway. Now, if he's perfect, and he is, the scriptures show clearly that he's perfect. Everything he's ever done is perfect. Then in his creation, he must have created everything perfectly. That's not hard to grasp, is it? Can we all be in agreement there? I I, I think we can. Well, God created Satan. God created Lucifer. Lucifer is not a god equal with God. Lucifer did not hasn't always been. Lucifer is a created thing. Well, did God make a mistake when he created Lucifer? He either did or he didn't. If he made a mistake when he created Lucifer, then he's imperfect. And I'm just going on home. But he didn't make a mistake because a perfect king cannot make a mistake. I'm talking about perfect. The The reason God calls us to glory in him, the reason that God wants all the glory, if you and I would have that kind of attitude, it would be simply pride. But God must have the glory because there's nowhere else to put it because of his perfectness. God cannot be humble. And say, well, you know, thank you. You can't do that because he is perfect. So the only way he can operate and function is in a state of perfectness. That's why we must glorify him because there's no other way to go. That's why God must have the glory, why he demands the glory, because he can demand nothing else. What else is he going to say? He must demand the, the glory because nothing else is perfect. And so when God created Lucifer, he did not make a mistake. Well, even many of our 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 brothers and sisters in Calvinism believe this, and, and I'm not going to discount it. it. May be true. I don't it doesn't have anything to do with the argument. Well, Lucifer had free will. So the seven eye wills of the old testament. Lucifer Lucifer had free will, and he, he willed to disobey God and rebel. Well, did God make a mistake? Okay, give you that. You, I ask you to 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 humor me from time to time. I'm going to humor you. Okay, let's just say I believe that. Let's just say that's true. The scriptures don't teach that, but let's just say it's true. The scriptures don't tell us how he fell. The scriptures don't tell us how Adam fell. All most of our Calvinist friends say, well, you know, Adam had free will, but after the fall, we're all born dead in our trespasses and sin. Therefore, no man's had free will since. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. They're making the same observation as the Armenians concerning their free will. But maybe that's true. But let's just say for the moment it is true. Did God make a mistake by giving Lucifer free will? Of course not. The perfect God cannot make a mistake. Therefore, if God is perfect and God cannot make a mistake, then it was in God's divine plan that Lucifer fall. That's the point, but we need to grasp that because once we grasp that, the whole world changes on us. We look at everything in a different perspective once we understand that. God causes all things to work together for good. Even Lucifer's fall? Yes. Even Adam's fall? Yes. All the corruption and the death in this world as a result of Adam? Are you trying to tell me that God causes all of that to work for my good? Yes. Well, tell me, how is that? I don't know. That's what the scriptures say. God causes all things. In my little weak mind, I know of only one instance, that without the fall, we would not have the Redeemer. And I would rather be i would rather be in flesh. I'd rather have this old nature and suffer through this whole life with my old nature, worshiping my Savior, than being perfect and not having a Savior. And we would never know of God's grace. We would never know of God's mercy had we not had the fall. But that's just a couple of things. Who knows what else it could be. But God causes all things to work together for our good. Those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. God in his perfectness created Satan to do and carry out his divine plan. And then God judged that work perfectly. And we have the results of it this morning in the hot weather or anything else you want to talk about. The, the judgment of sin in the world, has, the, 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 the problems of sin in the world, has been judged perfectly by God. Now, God causes all things to work together for our good without any human help. We seem to think that we've got to, we've got to help God out a little bit. Somehow or other, we must help. But God causes all things to work together for our good without any help from us. There is a cathedral in Spain, in Madrid. It was designed and built hundreds and hundreds of years ago by this particular architect. And in this uh, cathedral or on the grounds, there are many of the kings of Spain buried here. Uh, this, was, this is a, it's a Catholic church, of course, but it, it's a very, very uh, uh, important structure. Very, very glorious structure, and when the architect had it built, he had a very, very little arc going across it, going across it, very little arc going across it, and the king said, boy, that's going to fall in on us, and the architect said, it's not, the king says, I don't care what you say, I'm the king, and I'm telling you, I want you to put, put a brace up in the middle of that thing, so it'll hold that roof up, it's going to fall in on us. The architect said, well, okay, he had to do what the king said. So the architect built the brick all the way up to the ceiling, all the way up to the roof. The only thing that, that the architect never told anyone is as he, as he left that brace a quarter of an inch lower than the roof. The roof never touched it. Hundreds of years have passed since then. And now the guides in this monastery, in this, this cathedral, they have a device which they can put up there and show Today, they can do this. Go up there and they take this device and they take it across between the beam and the roof for several, several hundreds of years. The roof has never sagged down to that beam, proving the foundation and the, and the structure and the rightness of the architect. God causes all things to work together for our good without any human endeavor. It's going to happen. It's going to happen no matter what you think. You can be the king, but God's the architect. And 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 the proof that, that the architect was right is in that little thing going across there. All things are working together for your good if you're in Christ. And, and there's just nothing you can do about that. You can try to build that up and help God out all you want. But that's the case. There is a divine plan. In scripture this is this is what we need to get to first we don't need to get to Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life first we don't need to get to the baby Jesus first we don't need to this is the first thing we must understand that God has a divine plan and in his divine plan there are three purposes the first purpose is that God wants to bring glory to himself the second purpose is, out of his love, because of his love, he has set all of his love in the person of Jesus Christ. And God's purpose a divine plan is to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, this is, this is the amazing thing. Thirdly, God wants to bring all glory to his elect. That's me. We're going to glorify God. We're going to glorify Christ. We're going to glorify Larry Horton. This is the purpose and plan of God decided before the foundation of the world. Isn't that something? All in Christ, of course. That's not sort of the doctrinal end of it. We have a, a very practical end, a very practical thing this morning to deal with. And that is we are in God's protective care. There's nothing can harm us. There's absolutely nothing that come into our life that can harm us. Because we are in God's protective care. All things. God causes all things to work together for our good. I don't care what it is. You get in a car wreck and get mangled, it's going to be for your good. Love and dies, it's for your good. I don't, you, you, you. All things. The human mind and the human body and the human soul is extremely complex. We know that. We know very little about the body, very little about the mind, and very little about the soul. But we do know it's extremely complex. Can you imagine all the different things that you and I think about in a day's time? And all the different things that you and I feel in a day's time? And all the different things that you and I uh, do in a day's time, and all the circumstances that enter our life, every single one of those things are working for our good. A dog cannot bark without it being for my good. What about sin? What about sin? Is sin part of all things? (laughs) Well, I don't know. What do you think? is sin is, you know, Larry, I agree with you. You know, God, boy, he's great. He's good. He's done great things for me in my life. But, you know, God hates sin and God will not be a part of sin. And therefore, you've taken Romans eight twenty eight way too far because sin certainly doesn't, it doesn't mean sin there. Well, it certainly does. Sin is part of all things. Well, okay, maybe, well, let me give you an example. Job. All things work together for Job's good, even sin. Satan came to try to tempt, tempt Job, but he, but, but in, Job was in God's protective care, and he and he couldn't do any more than what God told him he could do. He says, "Well, I want you, you know go down there and take his, take his barns, take his wealth, and that was all burned up by fire, take his cattle." They were stolen by thieves. Take his children. They were were killed in a a storm of fire. But all that worked together for good for Job. Satan was involved in working his life. But Job had a new understanding of material things. And a new understanding of spiritual things when all that was through. But, But direct sin in a person's life, whether it be mine or someone else's, works for my good. Ruth excuse me, Naomi had a son. And Naomi's son violated the law of God. It was very, very clear that he was not to marry outside of Israel. And he married, he defied God. He, He did exactly what God told him not to do. And he did marry outside of Israel as a direct sin against God. As a result of that, Ruth was brought into the family. And as a result of, of Ruth's widowhood and being brought into the family she became the grandmother a grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ. God causes all things to work together together. The story of Joseph is very well known. <clears throat> Joseph and his uh, pride that, well I don't know I won't say that but I don't know that it was the best thing for him to do. He went to his brothers. He was youngest. Went to his brothers and said, "Look, the, the, your sheep, your 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 sheaves, your wheat. You know, it's going to bow down to my wheat, and the sun and the moon and eleven stars are going to bow down to my star." And the boys just could not handle that. They said, "Good night." He's talking about the, his father, his mother, and his eleven brothers are going to bow down to him. We're going to get rid of this. We're going to kill him. That's sin. I'll get this two different ways. So, but they didn't kill him. They sold him into bondage, into Egypt. And there, in Potiphar's house, he got trouble with Potiphar's wife, and he ended up in prison. And then out of simply the 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 of a man, he wasted many years in prison doing nothing because the man forgot something. But then there came a time when God called him up out of prison and set him up as the second most highest, as a, almost as a god in Egypt, the second highest authority in the land, just under Pharaoh. He was in charge of all the money and all the wealth of Egypt. Here come the brothers. There was a famine in the land. They came to Egypt. God meant all that for good. The brothers meant it for evil. There was sin involved, but God meant it for good. Because it, it, you could say, well, yeah, but see... But Joseph didn't sin. it's just the brothers sinned. But the brothers reaped the benefit of their sin. God caused that for good. The brothers sold him into bondage. But then the brothers became hungry. They went up to Egypt. And Joseph fed them. Not only that, but God promised that he was going to make a great nation out of Israel. And they're up there with all these tribes all around them. And, and in all these different religions. And all these different uh, cultures and, and tribes everywhere. Where are they going to grow? So God takes them down there to Egypt, and he leaves them there for 400 years to grow and to work hard, be slaves, to build, build buildings, and they grew and they multiplied, and they multiplied, and God built a great nation right there. But It would never happened any other way, but they were in bondage there. That, that, that was sin in Israel's life, and it was sin unto Israel, but God meant it for good. God worked it out for good. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And, ha- and now do you be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. You meant to kill me. You meant to get up me. God preserved me. God meant for this to happen. Joseph was another one of those sovereign God preachers. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father of Pharaoh and Lord of all his household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And then we come over to chapter 50. We get the the famous lines of Joseph. After his father died, brothers, they got very concerned that Joseph now, after the father had died, would kill them. And Joseph says this to his brothers. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's just the clear teaching of Scripture. God causes all things to work together for good, for them who love God, them who are called according to his purpose. I don't know what this does for you, but it, it just it just fills me with joy, fills me with comfort and rest. There's absolutely nothing that can enter into my life that has not gone through the plan and purpose of God before the foundation of the world. And maybe I'm I'm out of line here, but if you're here this morning and and uh, this doesn't do anything for you, this verse not the te- not the preaching of, of this stuttering teacher, but the verse, the truth of it, if it does nothing for you, I I, I wonder. I have great wonder for your soul. Seems to me like you're in real bad shape. Seems to me like you're you're hurting real bad. If you're here just going through the motions and or even if you were here just going through the motions. That, that's okay. I've done that many times. But once the verse comes up, that causes all things to work together for good. For them who love God, them who are called according to his purpose. And that does nothing for you. You're just waiting to get out of here so you can go eat. I just, I just wonder. Seems to me like loss. It's loss, loss. Loss, way lost, lost further than I could ever, my words could ever reach. Your graveyard lost. If this verse doesn't do anything for you. I have no advice for you. I I don't don't know what to tell you. You're just so lost. You're just so far, far gone. I I just have no idea what to say. Copy the old preacher. and Just say as he said. Just come as a rebel. Throw your shotgun at God's feet. Just cry out for the mercy of God. Cry out for, for mercy in your life. George Whitfield, I suppose one of the greatest men God ever put on this planet. They tell me that at the end of almost every one of his sermons, he would say this Seek the Lord, and maybe he will save you. I really like that. I know that salvation is somewhere in this book. I know that. It's up to you to find it. And maybe. God will save you. But I'm not going to end my sermon as Whitfield did because Romans 8.28 is not for the lost. Romans 8.28 is for the believers. Romans 8.28 is for us. And we know, we know that all things, whether it's sin in your, in your life, whether it's sin in someone else's life, no matter what it is, it's work, God's working it out for your good. I don't care if it's a, a, a man, an animal, A a created object, an angel in heaven, or a demon out of hell. None of them can touch you. Nothing can touch you. Nothing can happen to you that doesn't go through the plan and purpose of God, formed before the foundation of the world, before you ever were. And and, and that's the way it's going to be. You you are indestructible. I am indestructible. Nothing can harm me. Absolutely nothing can harm me. Satan. Satan went to the cross and, and crucified the Lord Jesus Christ in his great act of the, the, the great act of rebellion against the against God, and that very act beating that very act buried him right there. if he had just left Christ alone, he'd still have a, a lot more kingdom than he has now, a lot more kingdom. look at all the elect down through all the ages of all the world there they are the elect they worship God, they love God, they hate Satan because of the death of Jesus Christ, the greatest evil ever committed is God's working it out because he's so brilliant. He's working out for our greatest good. The men at that time in the last act of rebellion to throw their hands at God in their feeble way to protest against God in the age of rebellion crucified Christ. And that very act brought the love of God, the mercy of God, and the grace of God into those great people's lives. Oh, we worship a great God. Nothing can come into our, our being. Nothing can happen to us. That God did not plan. And that God did not purpose. For a reason. For his glory. And for our good. And there we can insert the lesson. It's there. On that note. That we can end the sermon. Put that with last week. God, boy, if we got some power. But we, cannot be, we cannot be moved. I can give you example after example after example in my life, and you can give me example after example in your life of how this very thing works. But don't be afraid. Don't don't think for a moment that I'm preaching as Paul was accused of preaching, let us do evil that good may come. Those who, who who think that, uh, I suggest the very thing, same thing that Paul suggested. Their, their condemnation, their going to hell is just. Because that's not what the scriptures teach. God does not enter into sin and God judges sin and it's not not good for us to sin but when we sin, it's not over. It's just starting. That very sin, God is so wise and he's worked out such a great plan that that very sin is a work for our good and his glory and that is just powerful stuff. I don't, I mean, that's that's as good as it gets as far as I'm concerned. I don't see that we're going to do anything in the next few years that's going to be any better than that.
1: So, Joy, you listened to Dad's sermon recently. I listened to it. And as promised, we were going to talk about how his words impacted us being his daughters, but also being, you know, his, his congregants. Right. Like, it, you know, Dad always felt like um, when he was preaching, he just felt like he was my preacher and my dad. Right. Yeah, I felt the same, exactly the same way. So what did you think? Well, it's interesting. I have some things to say about, you know, the lesson as a whole and just his, his whole ministry, really. And, and I can see why you picked this lesson because it just encapsulates. Um, it encapsulates the good news that Larry had for Christians. Exactly. Right. Exactly, yes. Um, and I'll get to that. But the thing that stood out to me the most was actually his introduction. And, um, you know, you'll have to humor me a little bit because it, I am kind of glorifying the man Larry Horton. I'm, 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 I'm uh, letting, letting everybody know a little bit about his life uh, according to that, that introduction he gave. So the introduction, you know, was great. It talks about the cousin who uh, gives Calvinists, you know, this huge compliment. Um, The the cousin says, uh, "You know, we don't Calvinists believe this. We don't believe that. Um, Calvinists believe this. We don't believe that. But I'm telling you something. Those Calvinists, they have us beat." When it comes to when things get rough, when things get really bad, they have us hands down because they stand on the Word of God. That's what they stand on. It kind of made me think, yeah, why don't you just be a, become a Calvinist? <laughs> so you hear Dad, you know, give this introduction, and, and he's so, he's so strong. He's so confident, you know, when he, when he, when he talks about that throughout the whole lesson, he he's, he's confident, he's joyful. He's talking about, uh, no matter what happens to me, it it doesn't matter. I'm indestructible. You could, I could get mangled in in a car wreck. It doesn't matter. And so as the listener, you, you may think, well, you know, things must have been going pretty good in his life. <laughs> you know, he's talking so so confidently um, about standing on the word of God when things get rough. Well, let's, you know, let's just, let's see when, when things really get bad. You know, is, is he really that confident? Well, this, this was recorded in 1988. And just a few years later, after 1988, he finds out that his oldest daughter, who, who he had become estranged with of his own doing, um, he, he wasn't part of her life when she was a baby and, and growing up to maybe 12, 13. And dad, dad wasn't a believer at the time. But he came back into her life when she was about 12 or 13 from his, uh, This is a daughter from his first marriage. And, um, and you know, Kimra, her name was Kimra, and she was just thrilled to have him back, you know. There was no, she wasn't bitter about it in, in any way. And so they had this, this wonderful relationship. Uh, Dad and Mom got to, got to come back into her life. She was a part of our life. Well, he gives this lesson in 1988, so confident. About no matter what happens to me, I'm going to stand on stand on the word of God. Um. Finds out that that Kimra is is dying. She's she's got cancer. She's got the worst kind of cancer. She doesn't have have long. Um. He had to he had to watch her. He had to watch her die, of of cancer. Not only that. But towards the end, she became pregnant and was gonna have a have a baby. And Kimra and mom and dad were the only people out, out of out of the circle of doctors and family. They were the only ones that that wanted Kimra to carry the baby, to, to keep the baby. And you know, dad was, dad and mom both, they were so excited about it. Um, you know. Grieving at the same time, everybody knew Cameron uh, was not going to make it. But this baby uh, uh, made it, you know, week after week after week, and, and, and the baby made it longer than everybody expected. This, this is while she's pregnant. While she was pregnant, right. And I think it was like five days to go uh, to a, a point where everybody could kind of relax. Okay, the baby's going to make it. The baby's going to be fine. Right. Baby dies. Then camera dies. And okay, so that happened, and you know we we get through it, our lives move on. Dad, dad moves on. Well, about twenty years later. Okay, and, you know dad dad's not thinking about this lesson that he gave in 1988 and staying on the word of God. You know he's not. That's long gone. Twenty years later. Dad and i are are just talking and i don't I don't remember if we were talking about Kimra specifically or if we were talking about scripture and how strong scripture is i don't I don't know, but we were talking about Kimra, and he said, You know joy, I knew in my bones I believed with everything in me." as the sky is blue, as the grass is green, as, as I'm standing up, I knew that Jesus was my friend only because the Word of God said so. Not because I felt it. If you want to go by what I felt, Jesus was nowhere to be found. Jesus was, was not around. Um, you know, so I just wanted to share that because that, you know, that's, this is so neat. These, these tapes are so neat to, for us, you know, especially the, the, the family or anybody that knew dad to listen to him, to listen to him, preach about these things and then know what his life, uh, how, how he lived his life. These things came through in his life, you know? Of course, he was a sinner. Maybe he didn't handle things, you know, right all the time. But his faith—that—that—that's faith, that, that, that's faith uh, right there. That's just standing on the word of God. He—he he said, I, I, I knew he was my friend because that's what the word of God said." You know, I remember um, because he—he he would preach at Eastern Avenue Baptist Church sometimes, and and the the timing of all that was a little fuzzy, you know, because he had his own church, and when he when he preached this sermon he had his own church, but he would preach at Eastern as well. And I remember a sermon like that. Like he preached shortly after she died and he said, I don't know that anything is true except uh, that the word of God is true. And that's all right. my hope is, is in that only. And one thing that, the reason why I decided that this tape would be the first one is because theology matters. And if you don't believe the word of God, if you don't believe when it says all things, then it, you could be off in other areas, but, but you can't be off on that. I would even argue that I would even argue that um, whether you're a Calvinist or you're Armenian, for the Christian, if you don't believe that all things work together for your good because Christ is is doing that, then you're missing out. Whether you're Calvinist or Armenian, right, you have to believe this because it does it does come up. And I I love that he said, Don't you love it when he said there's just no other word that could be put right. there right. except things. things. And how many other people in history have suffered because of the gospel? And why wouldn't why wouldn't God bring about suffering so that we could rely on Him? And so I, I it helps me remember that why why not me? You know, this is happening in my life. Well, yeah, right. what. That's to be expected because we, we have to, we have to know he's our friend at all times because we're trusting in the word of God, not because we're trusting on how we feel. Right. Right. Yeah. I loved, I loved how in that introduction, the, uh, uh, either dad or the cousin said, um, I think it was dad. He said, uh, you know, you, you could love your wife, you know, uh, but, but, at times you may not have a particularly loving feeling toward your wife, you right. know? So, uh, yeah, and, and not to say that um, all of this theology, you know, brings out great emotion. I mean, Dad had emotion, um, but you, you can't base what is absolutely true, um, like you said, just on how you feel, like especially when, the, when things are... Uh, You you got you're in some some mess. You got no way out. You know, things are piling on, and and it's just the word of God. That's all you can go to is the word of God and the promises. You know what is true. What is true, no matter what how I feel about it. I'm promising you that I'm here and I'm working this out for your good because you can't see it, but I'm, I am, I've got you. No, yeah. I've got gotcha. you. Yeah, it's okay. Yes. Um, well, that that phrase there kind of leads me into what I was going to say. Uh, the second thing I wanted to say, just that phrase, "I've got gotcha. you," and uh, it kind of goes to um, well, the phrase "I've got you covered." That that's kind of what I wanted to bring out. What Dad brings, what Larry brings out in all his teaching. You know, we hear this lesson Romans eight twenty eight, and and you think, oh, what great news! I mean, yeah, of course, uh, uh, a Calvinist, Armenian, a legalist, you know, they can't mess that up. I mean, they can't they can't bring bad news into that into Romans eight twenty eight, right? And, and a person might think, uh, well, you know, yeah, he got lucky. He he was he was going through Romans eight twenty eight. It's all good news, but you know, there's going to be bad news somewhere. And there's not, that is dad's, I keep saying dad, I need to say Larry, that is Larry's ministry. You know, what was it, 30 years? I, I mean, he was a late Christian, but he had, you know, 30 years or so. You're not gonna find bad news anywhere. And and it's not because Larry avoided scripture, avoided certain scripture. No, he goes through all of it. Uh. Old Testament, New Testament, Believer, unbeliever. I, I, I could prove right now that that even the unbeliever, even a person going to hell, so that's good news. Mm-hmm. And you know why? Because God's going to be glorified. Right. It, it it's your perspective, you know. Right. Um, so I could go on and on and on about, you know, all these examples about how a person might think. Well, no. Okay, I, yeah, I see how. Um, okay, that could be good news. That could be good news, but this over here, ha, you know, that's not good news. Yeah, that over there, it's good news. And I'll just give one example of that. I mean, I could go on and on about Larry's teaching. And again, it's not. It's not Larry. Larry's not the hero. Right. It's the. It's the word of God. It's all throughout. Larry larry exposes that's what he does he doesn't add to or twist it or make it into good news he exposes all the good news that a lot of preachers either don't know right. or don't want to it, you know, that's just too good they're afraid to they're right afraid to well, you know what he you know what he he, he uh likened himself to in a football team, you think the preacher, well, who would the preacher be in a football team? Oh, he's the coach. And remember what he would always say? He'd say, I'm the equipment manager. <laughs> I'm <laughs> handing out the helmets. No, he's just giving the people yes the tools they need to enjoy what God has for them. Right. Without so- all of the uh, without the legalism and also in particularly in this lesson, without the fear of your circumstances, right he's an right. quit manager, and that's he's so humble that um you know his humility was just all, yes and um, I just it ridiculous. it's ridiculous yeah. the only word that comes to mind, <laughs> as you heard in the beginning of this, what he thought of his own teaching, and then you you put that right next to what people said about his teaching. It's it's amazing. But right. He said oh, I'm the equipment manager. But go ahead and what we were gonna say. Um well I I I I I don't want you to forget also because what you just said about his humility, uh in the in the beginning of the lesson he's he was uh talk about how he was talking about going to not going to seminary. Um yeah. you know but he didn't. He, he didn't bring up. He didn't say. No, no. I did go. No, you, you So you tell it. Well, he says. Uh, in the I, I thought it was so cute the phrase. Now they were very adamant about this about this way for homiletics, herm- hermeneutics. I don't remember which. Yeah. he Said, but so. But then he had said he doesn't. He never went been to seminary, but he did go to Prairie Bible College for a year or two and I think yes and he was just just too radical (laughs) for them he just these guys are legalists and I just can't stand it but so he went to Bible college for a year or two yeah somewhere in there right but he didn't he didn't go to seminary right but he I mean it's just the Lord showed him things for such little little quote-unquote education the Lord just showed him and you know he never he never used notes ever I mean, he would stand up there and he would go from A to Z in this beautiful, eloquent way without stopping for notes or anything. It was it was uncanny how well he he just knew what he had to say and he would say it. Right. Right. Uh, There was actually I won't mention any names, but there was an an understudy uh, that I know of that, you know, understudy of Larry. And At one point, Larry told his understudy, uh, you, you, "You got too many notes. You, you, you don't need all those notes. Or, you know." And he'd say, uh, "You don't need all that. That's study time. Like you only need this amount. You, you don't. It's too much." <laughs> um, but anyway, just just back to how everything is good news. Everything is good news, and our flesh. Just for some reason, our flesh just wants a little bit of bad news. You know, why right. is that? I think, I think it's just because that's how life is, you know. We, we want a little bit of bad news. Just give one example. The, the, the problem, the issue of sin. So let's say uh, you, you, you understand, you, you've got it figured out that your sins are forgiven. And that's good news. That is good news. But you've got you've got all this guilt and and shame for all the things you've done, and and I think we we kind of think that it, it's more Christian to you know to walk around with a little bit of shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're saying we we don't have to walk around with shame. Like I, I know my sins are forgiven. I, I mean I know that. I know I'm not going to suffer. I'm not going to um, go to hell because of my sins. I'm going to heaven. But good night. I can't walk around, you know, with with a light step. I I got to I, I got to have some shame about what I've done because they're real bad. And of course, you know, we we all have to not have remorse uh, to not have regret of 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 what we've done in the past you know would be out of line we wouldn't be christians but what dad what dad's what dad's ministry is is to show that not only were your sins placed somewhere sins can't be in two places at the same time right they were placed on Jesus Christ at the cross, and they died there. Well, this shame you have, this guilt you have, that's where that belongs as well. Exactly. That is where that's placed. Now, you can have a feeling, you can walk around if you, if you, if you insist, a feeling of shame and guilt, but the reality is that's, that's not where it's placed. It's not placed on you. It's placed on the cross. Uh, you know, and that's where you can go with right. your guilt and your, sh- and your shame. And um, you know, in, in, in the same subject of sin, you think, oh, okay, great. That's great news. My sins are forgiven. I don't have to worry about shame or guilt. That's all placed on the cross. What about all these sins that were committed on me? Mm. to me. Right. What about all that? Now, how how is that good news? Well, the almighty God in his mercy and wisdom and perfect will may just save that person. Mm. He may just save that person who committed all these atrocious things on you. So now, where are their sins? They're on the cross. They're on Jesus Christ. They're not on them. They're not on you. They're on. They're on the cross. Now that may take a minute for to wrap your head around how that can be good news, but it is. Even their sins, things, people that have done horrible things to you, if those sins are on Christ, that's good news. If God doesn't choose to save them and they go to hell, like I said before, that's good news too. Mm-hmm. Because justice is served, right, and God's going to be glorified, right. Either way, right. And the and the the Armenian perspective, you know, really struggles with that. Uh, that's because they they don't like the fact that not everybody can be saved. But it's it's more important for God to be glorified than for God to be fair. Yes, God is glorified because a creature. I mean, a, a creator isn't worth worshiping if he's, if glory is not the ultimate. Right. And we're, we are, uh, we are the beneficiaries of that glory. We're beneficiaries. We are not orchestrators. We are not players. Right. We are beneficiaries only. Right. And it's, and it's, I mean, if if we had any quote unquote job to do, in our life as Christians is the only job we have to do is to discover the beneficiary, what God has done for us. Right. Right. And then what does knowing all that does not, it make you a person that people want to be around. Right. Right. You know, people get worried, Oh, you can't give them too much grace. Right. It won't be good people. Well, <laughs> right. you know, it, yeah. Yeah. I would just say for me to, to, to sum up, I would say, Just get ready. Get just, you know, if you're going to if you're going to listen to these tapes on on the podcast, I hope you do. Just get ready for a flood of good news. Yes. Only. Right. And, you know, very few people tell you what to do with your sin in Romans 6. Right. I mean, we growing growing up, we grew up with Romans 6. And so I'm excited. I'm excited for all of these to come out. But God working all things for our good is such hope that it doesn't matter what, what you're going through, God is working them for your good. And if Larry Horton could withstand, you know, death of his yeah. daughter and his granddaughter, uh, we can withstand what, what the Lord has in store for us and view it as good. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Joy. This was fun. Oh, thank you. It was fun.